Yes, we can finally say Merry Christmas. All right. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, some of you are like, it's way too early for that, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, today, we begin a brand new series. We're calling it To Me From Me. Isn't that great? To Me From Me. And uh, we are going to be diving into a couple different characters from God's Word that really, I believe, set the stage for Jesus and really kind of uh, turned the tide on the idea that we have about Christmas that really is defined by that kind of statement to me, for me. And uh, okay, so it's, it's the weekend after Thanksgiving. Um, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're not totally asleep this morning. Uh, for those of you I don't know, if you forgot, my name's Todd. Uh, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. Um, how many of you ate too much turkey? Um, all right, three of you. That's, that's a lie. Um, okay, so how many of you did a little Black Friday shopping? All right, brave souls. I'm impressed. I did not, but Cynthia was texting me while I was on the golf course. So anyway, all right. Um, so I did my Black Friday shopping, I guess. So, um, and, and how many of you watched a rivalry game? Raise your hand. All right. All right. Yeah, I hear the uh, War Eagles. I wore my Alabama Crimson Tide shirt. I'm a Georgia fan, but I wore my Crimson Tide shirt because I was a War Eagle last night. I, I wore this, like, yeah, for them. So, because, you know, we got to feel bad for Alabama. No, I'm just kidding. None of us feel bad for. Ooh, wow, man, that was vicious. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Well, hey, if you have your Bibles today, you can turn to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. We're going to be in the book of Ruth this morning. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen. We're going to be diving into this thing. You know, I, when I think about Black Friday and I think about this time of year, I, I think about the fact that we in our culture have this passion for consumption, and there's probably no other time of year that defines that or demonstrates that, or maybe even there's no other day during the year that defines that better than the day that we just had a few days ago, and that's Black Friday. We have this hunger to consume, this passion to, to receive, to take, to take, to take. And, you know, I, I should ask you to raise your hands on this one. How many of you, um, I won't, but how many of you bought something for yourself on Black Friday? Like, we have this consumption to gain and to get. And when we talk about the fact that we live in a consumer society and we as Western Americans have a consumer mentality, it causes me to think that it's more than just maybe when we think of consuming, like, a, a good that might be gone, you know, food. It, it, is, it is an all-consuming consumption for me. And my goodness, the story of Christmas is such the opposite of that. The story of God deciding that he was going to redeem the world from their sins is completely the opposite of the story that we have in our Western world of me, me, me. And so church, Hilton Head Island Community Church, my goal for us as a church is that we would try to reverse that consumer me mentality and that we would be people who kind of take the idea that it's all about me and then we would turn that around and find out how we can be about others and how we can be about God's glory and how we can be about his kingdom. 
And so today we begin this journey. It's a four-week journey. We're going to be taking a look at four different characters who wildly, selflessly gave of themselves and God used in a remarkable way to change the world. And Ruth is at the top of that list, one of my favorite passages, one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture. I just love the story of Ruth. But I actually want to go back to Acts 20, verse 35. Because I want us to get the un, have the understanding and have the basis for why we're talking about what we're talking about. It's going to give us the context for these four weeks. In writing the story of Acts, Luke wrote this. He said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to, what's that next word? To give than it is. To receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And it's so interesting that the story of Ruth is the story of someone who understood that it was more blessed to give than it was to receive. And in that moment and in the choice to give rather than receive, God used that to pave the way for the Redeemer. He used that to pave the way for the Redeemer. When Matthew lists the genealogy of Jesus, he mentions Ruth. You know how outstanding that was in that day and time? To mention a woman? To mention someone who, 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 who you know, came from the bloodline of Jesus was a woman in that day and age? It was shocking. It was shocking that a woman would have been mentioned. But this woman did something so brave and so incredibly kind. I want to take a look at it today. And I want to actually start, we're going to go back to Ruth chapter 1, but I want to start at the end with Ruth chapter 4, verses 21 through 22. It says this, Selman the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Now that's how Ruth closes and we can just say Merry Christmas and have a nice lunch and hope you learned something today from that genealogy. Why is that so important? Why does Ruth end with that genealogy? It's because this was the setup, y'all. This was, it's a good southern term there, right? Uh, like this was the setup for the story of Jesus. This was the beginning of what God would do the genealogy mattered back in Ruth, it mattered in Matthew, and it matters today because the Son of God, Jesus the Savior, came through the bloodline of David, and Ruth was a huge part of that. The story that we're going to hear today set up the story of Jesus. It paved the way for his coming. But the story of Ruth doesn't start very well. It doesn't start like Christmas starts. It doesn't start like Thanksgiving starts. It starts with tragedy, and it starts with misery. And if we're going to take a look at Ruth today, we have to start at the beginning, which is actually the end of Judges. So Judges, some of you are like, you, turned, you told us to turn to Ruth chapter 1, and you haven't gotten there yet. I know. I've told you three other passages my fault. That's all right. Judges 21, verse 25, the last verse in Judges says this because these go in chronological order. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. That's 
the context in which the next part of the story, and now we're in Ruth 1, we're at Ruth 1, that's the context in which God uses this story to set the stage for what would happen. So let's take a look at Ruth now, chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And I'm just telling you ahead of time, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. We're going to cover a lot of ground in a very short period of time. Let's check this out. And I'm using the NIV today for a couple different reasons. Verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judea. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now let's get a picture of what's going on here because this is so incredibly interesting. These are God-fearing people that are from Judea. They're from Bethlehem. That's a pretty important town, isn't it? In the story. In fact, the, the Old Testament prophets talked about the fact that the Savior would come through Bethlehem. And so we, we see that these people, that, that they were there in their land, they were in Judea, and, and all of a sudden this famine rose up, there was an issue, they couldn't get food, and so they decide, they make a decision to go to Moab. Now, we could go in 10 different directions with the story of Ruth, right? We could go in 10 different directions because the decision to leave where they were and to try to find something better on their own is a story of decision-making and wisdom in and of itself. And so they leave this place that was home, the place that the people of God who feared God trusted God. And they leave and they go to Moab, which is a pagan land. It's a pagan land. They, leave, they left what they, they knew during a period of time where the conditions culturally were miserable. Remember, judges, the people did whatever they wanted. People did whatever they wanted. There's a famine in the land. And so this, this man, Elimelech, decides to take his wife and two sons into Moab. And they arrive in Moab... And he dies, and then the two sons marry Moabite women, and then they die. So Naomi is left with these two pagan daughter-in-laws. That's the beginning of the story of Ruth. And so at the beginning of Ruth, we see kind of a couple things. We see miserable cultural conditions, and we see tragic personal circumstances. Right at the outset, there's miserable cultural conditions and there are tragic personal circumstances. Okay, I want to pause here for a moment and I want to ask you, where are you? Where are you today? Where are you? Are you perhaps in a, 
in an environment or maybe in a, you know, in a culture where you know, things are, are pretty miserable. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in the community you live. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's with a next-door neighbor. I got great next-door neighbors. I got a great street. But I know some of you may not. You might have some kind of conflict. It might be at school students. It might be something that you're facing at school that creates a miserable cultural condition. Are your personal issues right now pretty tragic? Are you going through a period of time when, man, it just seems like everything is going wrong? I want you to put yourself in Ruth's shoes for a moment. She tried, she and her husband left these miserable cultural circumstances to try to find relief. And they end up in a worse condition, at least Naomi does, ends up in a much worse condition than when they left Judea. Think about it for a moment. Think about her family. They go into this place and her, her husband dies immediately. She's in a foreign land. Imagine the misery that she felt. And then her sons marry pagan women. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, mom, got engaged. Tell me who she is. Someone that doesn't really love God. That must have been a tough conversation. Someone whose culture is completely different than ours. And not only that, but then they die. Imagine the loneliness that Naomi feels. Imagine for a moment in a culture of someone who is a follower of God, imagine where family meant everything or the story of God working in and through the family and his people meant everything. Imagine Naomi being completely alone in a place that she didn't know that well without the potential for descendants. And by the way, the women, these daughter-in-laws, not only were they pagan, but they couldn't have children. So we see Naomi in this terrible condition, in this, these horrible circumstances. Uh, let's jump down to chapter 1, uh, verse 6 of Ruth. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people back home by providing food for them, the famine is now over, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judea. I want you to notice in this next passage, and we're going to read all the way through verse 16. I want you to notice how many times return or go back is mentioned. Verse 7, or excuse me, verse 8. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have showed kindness, shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye. She kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. Now, I, I kind of get the picture. I want to stop here for a moment. I kind of get the picture here that... Um, these two women who are Naomi's daughter-in-laws, I kind of get the picture that there was this deep friendship past just mother-in-law, past just in-laws. A lot of you guys have spent some time with your in-laws recently, right? They might still be in town. They might be in town for the foreseeable future. I don't know. But for you, it might be a little too much. 
Naomi and these two women come from different families. Yet you can see that there's this bond that's formed. You can see that there's this relationship that's been forged by Naomi's kiss, by them weeping out loud. We'll pick up with verse 10. And she, Naomi, said to her, uh, we will go back with you to your people. I'm sorry, that was Ruth. But Naomi said to her, no, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more, any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they were grown up? I love that passage right there. Like, really? Are you kidding me? They're, you know, you're going to be too old for them if that would even happen. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. <laughs> I just want to stop again. How many of you have, you don't have to raise your hands on this. How many of you have thought when things go bad for you, you've thought, man, God must be against me. I've been there. I've been there. It's like, man, this person's against me. This person's against me. This thing is against me. I'm struggling with this. God must have abandoned me. He, he must not care for me anymore. How many times are we like Naomi? We think, man, God's hand must have turned against me. Take a look at verse 14. At this, they, the daughters, wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. So Orpah's leaving, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And this is when it really gets good. Verse 16 is when it really gets good. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And I love this verse. When Naomi, the mother-in-law, realized that Ruth, this daughter-in-law that wouldn't go away for a good reason, was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I love that. I love this story. It's an amazing story. In this section from 6 to 18, there's nine different references to return. You see, Naomi, when faced with the reality of her situation, is telling these daughter-in-laws that love her so much, go back to where you came from. Don't follow me. God's hand has been taken off of me, and I can't imagine bringing any more pain to you. But Ruth was determined not to return because of her commitment and her kindness and her devotion to Naomi. Her commitment was to death. And it was selfless. And it was marked by passion and kindness and devotion 
to Naomi. But I've got to be honest with you, church, when I read the story of Ruth, and when I read the story of this great friendship that was forged between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, I don't see it as just a friendship, just a passion for a mother-in-law. I see it as a passion for the God of the mother-in-law, the one true God. I see Naomi's passion being born from her love, not for Naomi, but of Naomi's God. And we see that in verse 17 when she says to Naomi, actually in verse 16, when she says, when Ruth says to Naomi, don't urge me to leave with you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. You see, a pagan woman had been so incredibly enamored and became such good friends with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and they had forged this friendship. And yes, bonds are created when there's crisis, and there certainly was crisis when her husband and then Naomi's son was died. But I got to be honest with you. What I see is I see a pagan woman falling in love with the God of Naomi. She mentions it again in verse 17. She says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, Ruth, mentions the Lord. This Moabite woman, this pagan woman, mentions the Lord, and she shows passion and kindness and devotion. But I believe that Ruth's devotion to Naomi was rooted in her devotion to Naomi's God. You see... The story of Ruth and Naomi, and we're going to get to Ruth and Boaz in a minute, but the story of Ruth and Naomi is a story of remarkable kindness, isn't it? It was incredibly kind for Ruth to make the decision to stick by Naomi's side. And the story of Christmas, for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, who call ourselves people of God, it ought to be about kindness, but I think that we will find our attempts at kindness towards others phony, empty, and weak if it's not rooted in a deep devotion for our God. You see, if we church work at serving the world, at serving those around us from a place that it's all about ourselves and all on our own, I think we're going to find failure. But if our kindness is rooted like Ruth's was in a deep devotion to God, I think we'll find success in the kindness that we ought to show, especially this time of year. And kind of reverse the cycle of to me from me. I love the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say in chapter two. It's a story of repayment and reward and refuge. They go back to the land. Let's pick it up in verse chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, Naomi had, had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing. He was a man of importance from the clan of Elimelech. You know that name? That was, that's the name of her husband, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out 
entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. This was a practice that was done during this time of year in, in this day and age. As it turned out, as it turned out, I want you to hear that again. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to this man who was of great importance, and his name was Boaz, and he was from the clan of Elimelech. As it turned out, I want to stop here for a moment. Listen, um, whatever situation you find yourself in today, just like Ruth, God has your good in mind. Yes, he has his glory in mind, but whatever situation you came in here, and Billy prayed that, he talked about that this morning, whatever situation that you find yourself in, Whatever misery or whatever crisis, whatever personal circumstance that you may find yourself in today, I want you to hear that God is for you. God was for Ruth. As it turned out, was God at work? As it turned out, is God at work in your life regardless of how desperate of a situation you may find yourself in today? Let's read verses 10 through 13. At this She, Ruth, bowed down her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. And then he says this in verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. This man of great standing in their city, says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. He didn't realize it was going to be him that God was going to use to repay her. He didn't realize that at the time. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take, what's that next word? Refuge. You think they needed refuge at this time? With all that had gone bad, with all the personal tragedy that they had had, you bet they needed Then she responds in verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes. My Lord, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. See, Ruth came into this situation as lower than even a servant on this spectrum that existed in that culture in that day and age. And this man of great standing shows kindness. I want to take a look at two more verses in chapter 20. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law when she came back and told Naomi about this. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Speaking of Boaz, she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our gardener redeemers. You might have, uh, guardian redeemers. You might have heard it referred to as a kinsman redeemer as well. And then in verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And the, ama- the story gets even more amazing, and we're not going to read the rest of Ruth 3 and 4. We don't have time. Um, but, but I want you to know in, in Ruth chapter 3 and chapter 4, there's this great story of Boaz buying the land. And in doing so, he purchases essentially the right to marry Ruth. It's an amazing story. And so God took Ruth's kind act towards Naomi, and he used it for her good. 
I want you to see this for a moment. Just stop and see this for a moment. Ruth made the decision to stick with Naomi when she could have left, when she was urged to leave, when Naomi begged her practically to leave. She showed kindness by sticking with her. She showed kindness by saying, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to stay where you stay. Your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. She showed commitment and passion and loyalty, but most of all, she showed kindness. And God used that for Naomi's good, but he used it for Ruth's good. Life as she knew it should have been over Ruth, but God used it ultimately for her good. See, God is radically kind to us when we're genuinely kind to others. God is radically kind to us when we are genuinely kind to others. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. I want you to think for a moment about the kindest thing that someone has ever done for you. In fact, let's just make it over the last year. I want you to think of the most kind thing, kindest, is that an English word? Anyway, think of the most kind thing that someone has done for you over the past year. And I promise you, whether they realize it or not, the person who was kind to you was given a reward. Because God honors genuine kindness. God honors genuine kindness. But you know, the story of Ruth doesn't end there, and we're going to end it quickly, because there's, there's a greater good in this story. There's a bigger picture point in this whole story, in this whole thing. And you know what it is, but I want to highlight it. I want to I find some lessons that we can learn. All the way down to Ruth chapter 4, 13 through 17. Let's just finish up and read this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. There's a miracle, isn't it? Do you remember? She was barren. She was barren. So was her sister-in-law. There's a miracle that happens right there, and she gave birth to a son. Wow, what a great foreshadowing, isn't it? Isn't that an amazing foreshadowing? In the Old Testament, we get this picture of what God would do in the New Testament. I love that. Oh, man, I love that. And the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons. And those of you ladies who have sons are like, amen. Just kidding. She has given birth. She has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him. I want you to say that name with me, Obed, Obed. Now, we don't hear much more about Obed through Scripture. 
I doubt that you probably went to a Sunday school class growing up and like saw the flannel graph about Obed, okay? But he's an important character in this story because he was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of who? Of David, King David. And who came from King David generations later? God's son, Jesus. And that's why Matthew mentions Ruth right there because of the kindness that she showed her mother-in-law. God took Ruth's kind act towards Naomi and used it for his glory. That's clear, isn't it? That's clear. He used it for his glory. Ruth's selfless act towards Naomi ultimately set the stage for the birth of the Redeemer. You see, her story is all about redemption. There are so many parallels here. God's selfless act of redemption for all of humanity was ushered in by a seemingly small choice by one human. And I love that. I love that. But what can we learn? I think it's this. We can move from the idea of to me, from me, and we can be to others from me. We do it when I selflessly give the gift of kindness to others instead of me. When I do that, when you do that, when we do that, God uses that gift to redeem my misery and my tragedy. But he also may use it to change their life and eternity. I have a tendency sometimes, I'm just being honest with you, to pout Sydney's down here in the front row. She can tell you that that's true. Right, Sid? She's shaking her head yes. We'll talk about that later. Uh, I have a tendency to pout when I think that I have, have been hurt or harmed or taken advantage of especially, or, or if I feel like my circumstances aren't good for me, I have a tendency to pout. The solution when I'm in one of those moods, all right, and all of you have different moods that you get in when things go wrong, when you have personal tragedy, when your circumstances are miserable. But the solution for all of us, it doesn't matter what our personality is, the solution to get our eyes off of ourself and our circumstances is to show kindness to someone else. And I'm so glad that Ruth, a pagan woman, who trusted God, showed kindness to this Jewish woman who was her mother-in-law because God used that one small act to pave the way for the redeemer of all mankind. Wow, what a great story. What a great story. And it's not just a story, it's true. It's true, and God used it in a remarkable way. So my challenge to all of us, to myself, to you, to me, to all of us this Christmas, is to change the idea of to me, from me, and to be about others and to show kindness. And we as a church are going to do this on a corporate level. I want to encourage you to do it on a personal level, as hard as it may be sometimes to show kindness. I believe we're called to do it, and I believe God will bless us, and I think he will bless the act ultimately for your good and for his glory. Today, um, I'm going to ask Catherine to come on up, and um, we're, we're going to do something this Christmas that's a little bit different. 
Over the course of these next four weeks, we as a church are going to practice this because God has blessed our church financially. This is Catherine Reyes. Why don't you give it up for Catherine Reyes? I'm going to have you give that to me for a second. I, I promised Catherine I wouldn't make her say anything, but Catherine moved to Hilton Head uh, with her family from San Francisco not too long ago, and she has found her place here at this church. And we as a church over these next four weeks, we're going to financially give a big gift to um, some of our local partners. Um, we give gifts to our, our partners both globally and locally, but we're going to be doing it uh, for uh, four of our partners, really three of our partners, and you'll hear about that these next few weeks. Um, and I'll have some of their folks up here on stage um, to talk with you about it. But today, um, one of the things that we're going to do to show kindness um, to the people that live in our community is we're going to put aside um, $2,500 from our mission fund towards English as a second language. And Catherine has offered to help us lead that, along with several other people in our church. And Catherine, I'm so excited about that. That is awesome. Um, we're so excited about helping those who move here who don't speak English, which do you realize 13% of our community comes from a Spanish-speaking background? That's a huge part of our community. And so we as a church want to show kindness to our partners. We want to show kindness the way that Ruth showed it to Naomi, the way that God showed it to us. And so she had to bring it up because I forgot it on the front row. But I'm going to hand this certificate to Catherine, um, and we're going to put it aside to help with us starting an ESL program, English as a Second Language program, here in our community center that I'm very excited about. So, Catherine, thank you so much for your... Catherine was, uh, thank you so much. She was so um, willing to jump in and help with that. And we've got many others. Bibiana is going to be helping us with that. Um, we don't know what that looks like, but we want to do it after January. And so um, you'll hear more about that. And that's something that we wanted to do to give away something to the community to show the type of kindness that we're talking about. Church, it's time for us to show kindness. And sometimes that is to your family, sometimes it's to your neighbors, sometimes it's to coworkers, sometimes it's to fellow students. But what a great opportunity. Look what happened with the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Look at the glory that God received at the end of the story. But look at the glory that God received generations later when he sent his son. And all of you who are here today, who are already Christ followers, are recipients of that redemption. You are indirect recipients of that same kindness. So let's let it be on display for him this Christmas. Father God, I thank you so much that you have given us all the opportunity in the world to serve each other, to love each other, to be people who get our eyes off of each other during a, a time of year that is just surrounding us with a desire for personal consumption, with a hunger to be consumers. And God, I pray that we would take this Christmas and that we would evaluate where we are in terms of our kindness that we show to other people. 
And Father, right now, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would um, just begin to stir in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would, would stir in us. That you would realize that not only can we change our circumstances, not only could you turn our misery and our crisis around, but you could change someone's life in eternity through just a small act of kindness to someone else. God, help us to realize the great impact that we can have just by pointing people to you, just by taking the kindness that you showed us and showing it to someone else. God, give us opportunity, each one of us, to be a Ruth, to in the midst of our our greatest tragedy, just to say, it's time for me to show genuine kindness to someone else. Not seeking to gain anything, not seeking to want anything to come our way, not seeking any accolades ourselves, but just to show kindness because we've been such a great recipient of your kindness. And I thank you for the story of Ruth. Thank you for the story of Naomi. (laughs) What an amazing, amazing picture of what you were doing. And God, I thank you for Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and how he even in the story points all of us and pointed Ruth and Naomi and everyone to you when he said, there's another redeemer. It's better than me. God, I pray that this Christmas season that we wouldn't get lost and all the want and all the desire to have and to get and to get and to get. And God, may we individually and may we corporately as a church be about showing kindness to others around us. Help us to do it right now. Help us to do it today. Help us to do it today at lunch. Help us to do it when we're at school and at work and with our family. God, help us to do it when it's easy and when it's difficult. God, may you receive the honor and the glory from everything that we do to show people kindness around us. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.